Okay, yesterday we celebrated uh, the first birthday of my youngest granddaughter. Uh, her name's Willow, and she's gorgeous and amazing and wonderful. She's in the current parent room, I think, back there uh, right now. But as we were celebrating that, my mind went to the different stages of life. She is so sweet and wonderful right now. Yeah. And my kids were like that one day, too. Right? And then they became teenagers. Right? And then those teenagers became young adults, and then they gave me grandbabies, and the grandbabies are much better than the kids. But anyway... When we are journeying through life, we all have hopes and dreams and aspirations, things we want to become, things we want to do, places we want to see, and all those things. And it brought a question to my mind for you. As you look across your life, are you satisfied? Are you satisfied with your life? A better question might be, or another way to say say it might be, what is even a satisfied life? What would that look like? How do I even know if I'm satisfied with my life? What does that even mean? In John chapter 10, Jesus said this. He said, my purpose is to give them, he's talking about his followers, a rich and satisfying life. So today, are you living a rich and satisfying life? Anybody? Two of us, three of us, okay. Well, that's a trick question because you know we're going to unpack that a little bit more. But hey, uh, in John chapter 10, uh, we have a discourse between Jesus and the Pharisees. But in case you're, you're wondering, we just started a, a series last week in uh, uh, talking about who Jesus is, that I am Jesus. And there's a lot of opinions about who Jesus is. We're looking at his statements, what he said about it. And if you missed last week's message or if you wanna catch up through the series, you wanna listen to messages again because there's way too much content to take in 30 minutes, go to our app, go to our website and all those things. As I said, in John chapter 10, Jesus is having a discourse with the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. But you need to understand something about that. I need to give you a little background to John chapter 10. Before John chapter 10, there was John chapter 9. Right? Okay, you with me so far? Because this is going to get complicated as we go. In John chapter 9, Jesus did something outrageous. It was the Sabbath day, he was in the synagogue, and he healed a blind man. And that created a tremendous stir amongst the people. uh, The Pharisees and and religious leaders didn't like it at all, so they started interrogating the man, the blind beggar who had been healed, who could now see, right? They started interrogating him about how this happened, and they were trying to get him to say bad things about Jesus, essentially, to call Jesus a sinner. They even went and they got the guy's parents. Now, this guy was not a kid. He, He was in his 30s or something like that, and his parents said, why don't you go ask him? Let him speak for himself. So parents, if you're still answering for your kids in their 30s, right, stop it, right? <laughs> T- tell people, go talk to them. They're adults. They're making their own decisions. They've messed up their own life. It's not what I did to them. Yes, all that had an impact, but anyway, thanks for listening. <laughs> so they're talking to this guy and asking him about Jesus, and I love something he said. He was Uh, he said to them, he said, I don't know if Jesus is a sinner or not. All I know was I was blind, but now I can see. So they kept pressing in. 
They kept asking more and more and more. And finally, this dude's exasperated at this point. And in verse 27, he says this. He says, look, the man exclaimed, I told you once and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Yeah, I love the, the cheekiness of this guy. He was blind just a few minutes ago. Now he can see, and he's getting all cheeky with them. So then they had this conversation. They continued the conversation saying, God needs to get the glory for this. We, we worship the God that Moses did, and you need to give him the glory, not this Jesus character. And finally, in their exasperation, they said this in verse 34. It says, you were born a total sinner. They answered, are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. So this guy just got kicked out of church. He was a blind man. He'd come to the synagogue that day, and because he got healed, they kicked him out of church. Now, wouldn't that be the right way to run church? Wouldn't that be crazy? You know, if somebody gets healed, we want to kick them out of church. That's, that's just absolutely ridiculous. They threw him out. But Jesus heard about this. So then Jesus engaged the guy in conversation. And he's having the conversation with him, and he's talking about spiritual blindness. And what he's saying to, to them is that the Pharisees, the guys that have given you a hard time, that just kicked you out, they're spiritually blind. Now, one of the Pharisees or some of the Pharisees actually overheard this conversation. Have you ever done that? You ever been having a conversation talking about someone? I know you wouldn't do that. but, but and, and then they walk in, and the room goes quiet. Have you ever walked in a room and it goes quiet? They were just talking about you. Anyway, so, so the Pharisees said to Jesus, they said, are you talking about us? And then Jesus replied to them in verse 41, he said this, if you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, but you remain guilty because you claim you can see. So he's talking about their own spiritual blindness, and now that's the background, that's chapter nine, and he continues the conversation in chapter 10. I need you to pretend that there's not a chapter break there, okay? The chapter and verse divisions in our Bibles uh, were put in many, many, many years after we had the Word of God, after the Bible was done. It was for our convenience so we can look up things, all right? But this is a continuing conversation. It's not a new thought. Chapter 10 is not a new thought. He's continuing this conversation. And we know that because if you jump down to verse 19, it says this. When he said these things, the stuff we're going to cover today, the people were again divided in their opinions about him. Some said he's demon-possessed and out of his mind. Why listen to a man like that? Others said, this doesn't sound like a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So we can see that he's having the same conversation, and he actually creates a tension here. In the stuff we're about to unpack, there's going to be a tension created. Some people are going to think Jesus is insane. He's out of his mind. Some people are going to think Jesus is God. That's the bottom line here uh, for today. So he sets up that, that tension, and some people are saying, because of what he just did, because of what we've just seen, we, lean, we need to lean into what he says we believe he's God, and we want to hear more. So Jesus is talking about their blindness, and he gives them an illustration in, one, in, in verse 1 of chapter 10. I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold, rather than going through the gate, must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. 
He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. So we need to set the scene here so that you understand what's going on in these verses. It's morning time. And overnight, several flock of sheep were kept in one enclosure. Okay, this is in a village. And the morning comes, and then the shepherds each come to the sheep pen, and there's a gatekeeper there who lets them in. <clears throat> and they call their sheep. Their sheep know their voice, so their sheep come out and follow them, and they take them out to pasture. The sheep that are belong to other shepherds don't come because they don't recognize the voice of that shepherd. So that's what's going on here. Jesus is calling out the Pharisees. He's calling them false shepherds. He's calling them the, the robbers, the thieves and robbers that had snuck in. They had excommunicated this blind beggar from their community of faith. They had excommunicated him. They didn't care about him, but instead they mistreated him and threw him out. They were the robbers and thieves that Jesus is referring to here. Now, verse 6 and 7 tells us that the leaders did not understand this illustration. They should have because shepherding was a big thing. It was a very common analogy that Jesus would have been using for them to understand the story. But they said, hey, we don't understand. Jesus said, okay, let me explain a little bit more. I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. See, we're back to the rich and satisfying life part now. So Jesus is teaching them here. And here we have the first of two I am statements that Jesus made today. He says, I am the gate for the sheep. Now the scene is shifting. We had them in the village in that enclosure that had many flocks. Now Jesus is talking about the shepherds take their sheep out to pasture. They're letting them feed and everything. And then it becomes nighttime and they can't get back to the village. Shepherds would stay out for days, maybe even weeks at a time. And they would find a smaller enclosure that's just for their flock. Sometimes this would even be a cave. And then the shepherd themselves would lay across the opening. They would be the gate, okay? That's the picture that Jesus is painting. And the shepherd himself becomes the gate. He's the only way to enter. The gate is the access point. It's the only way in. And Jesus is claiming to be that gate, all right? That is important because what we're learning here is that Jesus is the gate. That means he is the access to the satisfied life, all right? If you want a satisfied life, you need to start with the understanding that Jesus is the gate. He is the access to that life. And he sets up a contrast in those verses between himself and the religious leaders of the day. The tension here is building. He said, all who came before me were thieves and robbers. Two things are at play there, possibly three. There were many false messiahs that had come along and said, I am the Messiah. And it had proven itself out that they really weren't. But also, 
Jesus could have been referring to Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel was a prophet, an Old Testament prophet. And he's calling out some kings in chapter 34 who referred to themselves as the shepherd. And the parallels between Ezekiel 34 and John chapter 10 are very clear. And Jesus' listeners, their minds would have went right there. They would have said, oh, I know what he's talking about. We don't have time to get into Ezekiel 34 today. Read that on your own. But essentially, what it's telling us is that they looked after themselves to the neglect of the people, and they caused the sheep to scatter. They caused them to be made vulnerable. That's what Ezekiel 34 is saying, and Jesus is tapping into that when he says, I am the good shepherd. He's calling the religious, or when he's saying, I am the gate. Jesus is calling the religious leaders false thieves. He's calling them robbers. And they were robbers because they had refused to guide the sheep. The blind man needed help and they ignored him. The Pharisees saw themselves as the gate to God. Their model for leading was to have a list of rules, a list of do's and don'ts. And if you didn't keep all the rules, then you were kicked out. I experienced this one time. We were with an organization that had lots and lots and lots and lots of rules around their religiosity, around their faith system. And they actually decided that we didn't fit within their rules. And we were not extreme, radical people. We got kicked out of their organization, their community, like the blind beggar did, uh, because we had drums in our church. And because I didn't just use the King James Bible. Essentially, that was the bottom line. And we got kicked out of that group. So I kind of felt like that blind beggar this week as I was studying this. And I see the religious leaders and their rules and kicking people out that don't measure up to their rules. But see, these religious leaders, they wanted to limit access. They wanted to be exclusive, not inclusive. Where when they kicked out the blind beggar, Jesus said, come here. I'll take you. You can come to me. You can come to me. Yes, you're going to leave Judaism and its trappings and its rules and all of that, and I'm going to give you something better. I'm going to give you that rich and satisfying life. So Jesus is different. He is the gateway to the abundant, satisfying life. Those that enter through him, he says, will be saved. The gate is there for the protection of the sheep. It's not so that other sheep can't get in. Jesus said that the security of the gate is not in the walls. It's in their proximity to the shepherd himself. The closer they are to the shepherd, the safer they are. The metaphor of the gate is not one of exclusion. We need to not think of ourselves as Jesus' true sheep and everybody else needs to be excluded. There are some churches and some denominations and faith systems that will say that. They'll say, hey, we're the only ones going to heaven, right? And all the others are not, we are exclusive. We're the only ones that have the right answers. You know what happens if we have that mentality? We become like the Pharisees who kicked out the blind beggar. And friends, this church is not that. If you're new to, if you're new to church, that may be some heavy stuff for you. Actually, you may have come from a church like that. You may have had bad experiences in church. This place is a place of inclusion, a place of welcome. Thanks for that. You know, the difference between Jesus and the religious leaders was their purpose. Jesus' purpose, or the thief's purpose, was to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus' purpose was to give a rich and satisfying life. Now, I'm going to disappoint some of you. Because I'm talking about this rich and satisfying life, and you're thinking, oh, yeah. 
oh yeah, I want the stuff, right? I'm gonna follow Jesus so I can have a Lamborghini. I'm gonna follow Jesus so I can have millions of dollars in my bank account, right? Anybody thinking that right now that was willing to admit it? That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about material possessions. What we receive from Jesus is a new life filled with meaning, filled with hope, filled with purpose. What we receive is a new life that is eternal, that's everlasting, that's not gonna end, that is much greater than the life that we live right now in this moment. A life of joy, a life of hope, a life of peace. That is the rich and satisfying life Jesus is talking about. Jesus then shifts the analogy. He's been saying, I am the gate. Then he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him, and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and they know me. Just as my father knows me, and I know the father, so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. When he says, I am the good shepherd, he keeps the contrast between him and the religious leaders going. In the Old Testament, God is called the shepherd of his people. By Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd, Jesus was saying, I am God. Okay? This was a claim to be God himself that Jesus is making. And that that would have just caused all kinds of problems for him, and it does later on. But Jesus came, the contrast, to give his life for our benefit. So when we see Jesus as the good shepherd, what we see is that we have access to that satisfied life through the sacrificed life. We can have the satisfied life because Jesus sacrificed his life. That's what he's telling us here. You know, shepherds were dedicated. They would do anything to protect the life of the sheep, to protect them from harm and to care for them. And the relationship between the shepherd and his sheep was not uh, like they're just cattle and we're gonna shear them and we're gonna slaughter them so that we can have lamb chops and all that. That's not what uh, they were on about. It was more like a family pet. Now, they did sacrifice sheep and things later on, so don't think that, That didn't happen. But it was more like a family pet. In fact, they would even name their sheep. And it usually had something to do with the character of the sheep or something something about them. Uh, So they might have called them Fluffy or Snowball or maybe Spot. Or maybe there's the proverbial black sheep, right, that was in, in the flock there. But Jesus says he knows his sheep. He knows those who are his sheep. And he says also, the sheep know me. I know my sheep and they know me. You know what it means for the sheep, that's you and I, to know him? It means for us to understand that the shepherd loves us. It it means that we understand that from our perspective, to know him is to trust him. The sheep assume they're going to be protected by the shepherd. They have complete trust in him. Jesus said something else that would have really rocked their world, talking about sheep here in verse 16. It says, I have other sheep too that are not in the sheepfold. I must bring them in also. They will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock with one shepherd. 
He's talking to Jewish leaders here, and basically he just told them, hey, I'm going to include Gentiles too. It's not just about the Jews anymore. I'm going to let other people in. And for those of you in the room and online that aren't Jewish, that's you. That's how you got in. Jesus said, I've got other sheep. We're the other sheep that he has included. And it's one flock. And it speaks to the unity of the church globally. You know, when I think about all the different versions of church that are out there, think about all the different denominations and things, and, and we, we have Baptist on our name and everything. But what, what I love about our church, and I think all churches should be, is that it's beautiful, that it doesn't matter what that denominational sign says. That we're all God's children, we're all one flock, we're all together, and we need to protect that. We need to, to be vigilant about making sure that we're not running down other people that are in a different denomination or stuff like that. that, that that's, again, like the Pharisees were. It says that Jesus, he's the good shepherd, he lays down his life for the sheep. Literally, he would die for them. We know that shepherds would die for their sheep. They would risk their lives. David was a shepherd, and he killed a lion. He killed a bear, protecting the sheep. Jesus laid down his life for the sheep. He died for our sins to give us salvation. Verses 17 and 18 tell us that he voluntarily did this. He laid it down. If you've ever looked at uh, the, the Easter event and you see Jesus on the cross and you've seen depictions of that and you think, oh, how brutal, how awful, those terrible people that took his life. Jesus said, no, 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 they didn't take my life. I gave my life. I gave that for you. That's what Jesus is saying. By contrast, again, he, say, he tells us about the hired hand. The hired hand does a runner when things get tough. He doesn't have an investment. It's just a job for the hired hand. He doesn't really care about the sheep. He's doing it for the money, so he's not going to have the same investment, which means he's not going to have the same commitment. He's interested in self-preservation and making money. And so if the wolf attacks, then he's going to run and leave the sheep vulnerable. The, the flock will be scattered. He abandons the sheep. When you look at that contrast, I think it's a pretty easy call who we should follow, right? Who wants to follow the hiring that's going to do a runner when it gets tough? Who wants to follow the good shepherd who's going to protect and always be there? Makes sense, doesn't it? You know, if we... Look at the hireling. The hireling runs away because of fear. And I would suggest to you, friends, that fear flees. Fear does a runner when it gets tough. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. So if we're following the good shepherd, we're following in faith. Faith follows when fear flees. All right? We need to follow in faith, not uh, flee in fear. So if you're following somebody that's afraid and they're doing runners all the time, stop following that. Follow the one who is worthy of following. So Jesus is the good shepherd. He provides for the sheep. He's the gate that protects the sheep. I said it like this. The sheep are provided for in the pasture and they're protected in the pen. So what does that have to do with you and I today? I've given you a, a ton of information today, but what does that have to do with us. Friends, we need a shepherd. As much as we may not like to admit it, we're more like sheep than, than we want to, to say. Jesus is our shepherd. He has come to protect us. We need that protection. He laid down his life for us, and that should give us comfort. But that comfort 
only comes in close relationship with the shepherd, with Jesus. See, the closer the sheep are to the shepherd, the safer they are, the safer they're going to feel. The problem is sheep, you, me, tend to wander. They tend to kind of do a runner now and then and find something else to do. Go play somewhere else in another paddock. They keep wandering off. The question that we need to answer today is do we recognize our need for him? And then do we recognize his voice when he's calling out to us? That can be tricky, friends, recognizing his voice. He says in verse 27 of the same chapter, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice. Hearing the voice of Jesus is not easy because there's a lot of competing voices out there. Am I right? Look at these competing voices. Other people. You know, everybody has ideas about how you should live your life. I have ideas about how you should live your life. You have ideas about how I should live my life, right? People are an influence. And you know what? Some of those people may be worth listening to, like me, right? Some may not. If they're speaking negativity into your life, if they're uh, running you down all the time, if they're not there to lift you up and to help you uh, go the right directions and things like that, then they're not worth listening to. We're talking about friends. We're talking about family. We're talking about teachers at uh, school or university. Then we also have society. Society continually tells us what we need to think. There are things that are appropriate to think and things that are not. And it's getting tighter and tighter. Or is it getting broader and broader? I don't even know anymore what I'm allowed to think. And I know what I'm not allowed to say. And I'm okay most of the time. Social media. We're inundated all the time with everyone's opinion and belief. And unfortunately, when things are repeated enough and we see it enough, it just seeps in and we start believing it. Then there's music and media. What, what messages are in the songs that are on your playlist right now? What are the themes in the movies or the TV shows that, that you watch or stream? You know, they all have agendas. In fact, that's, that's one of the things I like to do is sit there watching something and pick the agenda. I want to see how early I can pick it uh, in, in the show and then see if, if, if I was right. You know, there's a lot of voices in our heads constantly. And we need to understand that the voices we allowing our lives have tremendous influence on us. The voices we listen to shape our thinking, which then shapes our behavior. You want to know why you're behaving the way you're behaving? It's because the voices that you're listening to that are shaping your thinking. So if you want to behave differently, listen to different voices. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. How can we hear Jesus' voice above all others? Here's a, a, a few ways. First of all, Tune out some of those other voices that we just talked about. That, that'd be a good step, all right? Then look at Scripture. All Scripture comes from God. It's inspired by God. This is the primary way that God speaks to you and I today. Now, I want to put a caution out here. Don't go to Scripture looking for ways to justify whatever it is you want to do because you'll actually be able to do that. Look at Scripture and see what it really says, and then let that form your life. Then we have desires. Psalm 37, verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. 
God will plant desires inside of you that align with the things that he wants in life. And you'll be able to follow those. Moses is a great example of this. When Moses was in the wilderness, before he led the children of Israel out, he had killed an Egyptian back in Egypt because he was frustrated with the abuse that was going on in Egypt to the Israelites because they were slaves. And he lost it one day, killed the Egyptian. God met him in the desert and he said this to him. He said, Moses, I have seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries, and yes, I am aware of their suffering. Moses had a heart for the people, and that aligned with what God was calling him to do next, to lead them out of Egypt. And then there's doors. There's scripture, desires, there's doors, opportunities that are in front of you. Revelation 3 verse 8 says, I've placed an open door before you. The apostle Paul in the book of Acts chapter 16, he wanted to go to a place called Bithynia, But the Spirit said no, and the Spirit led him to Macedonia. Instead, it was an open door, a closed door and an open door. You know, there are times that God's going to bring an opportunity along. And you weren't looking for it. You probably don't even want it. In fact, when when you weren't looking for it and you don't want it, but it's a good thing to do, good chance that one's from God. Because that's kind of how God works. I think he thinks that's funny or something. But then we also have doors, but we have people. And that's huge because people make both lists. You see that? Other people? Well, You know, when people speak something into your life, you need to listen and decide if it's good or if it's bad. One way God guides me regularly is through people. And I gotta be careful with that because I'm actually a people pleaser. So I gotta make sure that if somebody's got an idea for me or tells me what I should do, that I'm listening, is it God or is it just me wanting to please them? But when people speak into your life, sometimes they see things that you don't. And it could be beneficial for you. It could be God's prompting you through them. Then promptings, the Holy Spirit promptings. And there's no way for me to describe this if you've never experienced that. It's just that nudge. It's that thing inside of you that says, I got to go do this. I could tell you lots of stories about those, but I won't for time's sake. Then finally, pain. God uses pain like he uses nothing else. Because when we're going through pain, what happens? We're alert. We're attentive to what God might be saying. In fact, if you're going through pain, I'm going to give you a painful question to ask, and you're not going to like it, okay? But when you're going through pain, stop in the middle of your pain and say, ask, where is God in this? And you may have to think about that a long time in the middle of your pain, but I can promise you that God is there. God will be working through your pain, in your pain, to grow you and to achieve his purposes through you. It may not be pleasant. That's why it's called pain. But check it out and see where might God be in that. So then Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. And then he said, and they follow me. When we listen to Jesus, we need to follow Jesus. What does it mean to follow? It means to travel behind or pursue. It means to walk or run, to go after, to stay in close proximity. It means sacrificing what we want for his will in our life. I think at times it's not so much that we don't hear his voice. We just talked about how we can hear his voice. We actually do hear, but we don't like what we hear. And we don't want to follow Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. You got to take the step of following. Are you following 
what you've heard. I, I have people come to me regularly and they'll say, hey, I, I want to know what God's will is for my life. Or they might be telling me something and saying, is this God's will for my life? Some people say, it's just not clear. I don't hear anything. The question I always give them back is this. Are you acting on the things that you already know he said to you? Are you acting on the things that you read clearly that he wants you to do? You know, because we're looking for this mystical, mythical voice of God to tell us what to do and to make it clear. But can I ask you, why would God give you more instructions? Why would he give me more instruction if I haven't already done what I know to do, what he's already called me to do? Friends, to live a satisfied life, you have to listen to the shepherd's voice. And then you have to follow where he leads. We can have the satisfied life, the satisfying life, because Jesus lived a sacrificial life. Are you satisfied with your life today? If you're not, do you need to redefine what satisfied means? Are you following Jesus? Are you listening to his voice? Because he's the gate. He's going to keep you safe. He's the great good shepherd. He's going to guide you. He's going to lead you to that rich and satisfying life. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for how Jesus teaches, and, and Lord, it's hard to understand even sometimes. He calls himself a gate, and then he calls himself the good shepherd, and Lord, it, uh, it, is, it takes work for us to understand what was going on back in those days, and then for us to understand how we apply that to our own lives. Lord, thank you for teaching us today, and Lord, help us. Help us to act on what we do know and what we do understand, what we have learned. Lord, help us to not just be always looking for the the next voice, even claiming that we're looking for your voice when we haven't already acted on the things that you've called us to. Lord, there are people today who need to act just to follow you, first of all, to, to come in through the gate. And there are people who need to take the next step and do what Tyra did today as she challenged her peers Lord, there are people who need to follow you, who need to listen and take that next step in their faith journey. And Lord, we pray that you would empower each of us to be listeners and to be followers today. In Jesus' name, amen.